0: I remain standing for a moment as Richard comes up uh, to share God's word with us. I'm just going to pray for him. Heavenly Father, thank you that you speak to us. We ask that you would help us to put ourselves aside for this next time. We may really focus on what you have to speak to us, and that that would speak into our character, that you would challenge us and help us in our journeys. Thank you for Richard and ask for your blessing on him. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Dave. Do be seated. Well, it's lovely to be here again, the sun streaming through the window into the side of my face, warming me. Um, And I have to say, this has been a talk that I was not at all certain what you say about the third commandment. I'll read it again for you, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. It's a very short sentence, it's quite pointed, and it's not as obvious as with some of the other commandments why it might be so important. Um, For example, do not murder. You sort of like instinctively understand why murdering might not be a good idea. Same for adultery or stealing or false testimony. Coveting. Um, But this one, and possibly the one about honouring your father and mother, it's sort of like I can see it's sort of like not great to misuse someone's name, but why has it made it into the top ten? And I was greatly helped preparing this by um, J. John's wonderful book, Laws of Love, Set in Stone, which is his uh, his sermons on the Ten Commandments, and uh, I'll, I'll guide you through some of the things that he said on this as I go through the talk and read it, read a few passages to you because it's very helpful. But the the first thing to think about is your name. Think about your name. Uh, mine is Richard uh, John Moy, and uh, I've noticed in recent years that if I go to a social setting and there are other people called Richard, there's a very good chance that we're the same age or they're older than me. Um, But they're almost certainly not younger than me. Um, Because for whatever reason, Richard went seriously out of fashion. Now, there are a few abbreviations of Richard which may suggest why I went out of fashion as discerning parents decided it was uh, was cruel to inflict that on a child in the playground. Uh, And uh, maybe, you know... People got wisdom on that over the, over the years, but it is definitely out of fashion. You won't see, almost any kids in primary school called Richard today. The same may be true of your names. It may be that you've had a name that's been out of fashion and now it's come back into fashion. The floral names of our great grandparents seem to have come back in with the, the latest generation of daisies and other things like that. Um, so there, there's, there's, there's sort of a, a spinning around of uh, fashion on names. But the, the name that you have is often vested with significant meaning for you. And if someone gets it wrong, doesn't it annoy you just a little bit? Now, there are some people's names which are very get runable um, For example, uh, my father's middle name is Dennis, spelt the correct way, with two N's in the middle. Uh, whereas our esteemed curate has uh, the name Dennis as well, spelt the abbreviated way, with one N in the middle. <laughs> Which he thinks is the correct way. And you, you come up against this, don't you? My surname is Moy, but it's very hard for anyone to hear that and think that that's a complete name. So they'll often on a form write Moyes or Roy or some other deviation from there. And it depends how much you like your name, how precious you are with your name but it can be quite annoying. If you're called Caroline, if someone calls you Caroline, it tends to annoy you and so on and so forth. We we get precious about our name, don't we? And we have abbreviations sometimes of our names which we're happy for some people to use, but if another person uses them, we're really upset. And sometimes we have the full length of our name which frankly only our mother was ever allowed to call us by. (laughs) And we're highly upset if someone calls us by that in public, Eleanor. <laughs> you know, it sort of doesn't really work if you've been known as an Ellie. You're like, Eleanor. <laughs> you know, it feels wrong. So names are very personal to us, aren't they? And that gives us one clue as to why God's name might matter. It's a very personal thing, and we don't lightly change someone else's name or use it in a way that's inappropriate. And the second thing is that names are, can be, maybe even should be, tied in to some degree with character. And most names have meanings, don't they? In our culture, we're not so worried about this. Um, You know, sometimes people choose a name because it's, it's nice sounding, or they know a celebrity who's had that name. But oftentimes, historically, and in Bible eras, people would choose names because they were vested with meaning. Sometimes miserable meanings, you know, I am a cursed one, you know, call me bitter, call me Mara, uh, from uh, from the story that we were looking at, of the story of Ruth, when Naomi says, call me Mara, call me bitter. That's my new name. Um, sometimes, uh, they like Benjamin, was the son of my right hand, when, when uh, Jacob had a lovely child born to his favorite wife. You know, this is a favorite, is what it means. But they're very often vested in significant meanings, um, Nelson Mandela is quoted in J. John's book uh, from the book, his own book, Long Walk to Freedom. And he said this, apart from life, a strong constitution and abiding connection to the Thembu royal household, the only thing my father bestowed upon me at birth was a name, which I'm now going to mispronounce, Rolihalala. <laughs> in, in Coxie, Rol-i-h-l-a-la literally means pulling the branch off the tree. But it's colloquial meaning more accurately, would be Troublemaker. Uh, his name meant Troublemaker. I do not believe that names are destiny or that my father somehow divined my future, but in later years, friends and relatives would ascribe to my birth name the many storms I have caused and weathered. I was always interested uh, that my name Richard means a leader and John means the beloved one. I always found that very helpful as I was embarking on some of the ministry I was in. God's called you a leader, but he's also said that you're loved. I've always found that very precious to me. Uh, I don't know what your name means, whether it's precious to you, but God's name is precious to him. And there was a real privilege when someone lets you in to the point where they say, we're now on first name terms. Um, I was watching a film about an old lady who had had a sort of miserable life tied up, um, it's called Edie, the film, a, very, a great film she had a miserable life tied up looking after a despotic husband who had ended up ill for 30 years and suddenly uh, when her daughters amount about to put her in a nursing home she uh, gets a postcard from her dad of a Scottish island uh, with a mountain on it and she wants to climb this mountain even in her, in her older years and it, it, she... She introduces herself to the guy who's gonna drive her around and later be her tour guide up the mountain as Mrs. whatever her surname is. But there's a key moment when, she, when he calls her Edie, and it's obvious they've moved into a new relationship, isn't it? We live in a world of Call Me Tony since Tony Blair, and we've broken down a lot of the surname introductions. But there is still a privilege of knowing someone by name, of being invited into that relationship with them, And being close to them. And God is similar to that. But God doesn't let, in Scripture, humans name him. It's not up to us to name who God is. Because how can we come up with an adequate name for God? An adequate description of God? Um, He's superior to us in every way. And there was an interesting um, parallel. I found this very useful from Ludwig Wittgenstein, the the, uh, 20th century philosopher who was discussing the nature of God in lectures, and he would bring a cup of steaming coffee into the room. And then he'd get uh, Maggie or so, whoever's on the front row up the front and say, uh, Maggie, um, tell me what this smell is. And it's almost impossible to answer that question about a cup of coffee without using the word coffee. <laughs> because it's just, it's just a peculiarly distinct sort of smell. It's coffee-like is what most students would say. So how can we name God? He's God-like. And that's sort of the best we can do, was Wittgenstein's point. It's an impossible task for us to name God. And so God names himself for us. And, and we've looked in Exodus at how God reveals his name to Moses. And you remember from chapter 3, 13 to 14, his great name is summed up in the Y-H-W-H, I am who I am. I am what I am, I am whoever I be, I am the I am God. Uh, this is often translated as the Lord in our Bibles, and it occurs 6,800 times in the Old Testament. The I am who I am, a crucial part, a crucial building block of the Old Testament. And you'll remember that for, uh, when, when we first found those words and tried to transliterate them into English, people tried to fill in the, the vowels with Jehovah, And scholars now think it's probably closer to the word Yahweh. Um, But the, uh, the original scribes didn't include the vowels in the Hebrew text as they were writing along. So we don't know exactly what the name of God sounded like. And many Jewish people would refuse, because of the commandment that we're looking at today, to even name out loud that name in case they misused it. So when they were talking about God, instead of saying Yahweh or Jehovah or however the pronunciation should be, sometimes they'd simply say the name, the name, capital, T, capital N, <laughs> the name, meaning God. Because they were so reverent, they didn't want to trespass on who God's character was by getting it wrong, that they kept themselves from saying his name. And I'm told that when scribes came to write out the name of God, for the safety first principle, they never wrote it out in full. They wrote the four consonants, as we've said, uh, and they would wash first, put on new clothes, get a new quill, write the name, and then throw the quill away. And if you're copying out the Old Testament, that means you're having 6,800 baths (laughs) along your way. That's the degree with which they wanted to revere the name of God. Uh, it doesn't take, you know, great cultural awareness of today to realize we're a long, long way away from that sort of reverence of God. Um, we'll write God's name in cards, in greetings, in, uh, in sermons. We'll use God's name in all sorts of ways. We'll write him into songs in all sorts of ways. And culturally, of course, we'll use his names in swearing or in... Um, in calling down an oath or just an exclamation, the exclamation, OMG, oh my God, is just sort of common text parlance. It means almost nothing, really. So, how do we then begin to treat God with reverence? And has it changed for us now that we have Jesus? Because actually, Yahweh or the Lord in many ways, has been personalized for us by Jesus because he has taught us that we can call the Lord our Daddy, our Abba, our Father. Um, and he's also given his name to us um, so that we can uh, know him through the name of Jesus. But if you remember his main prayer that we've prayed already today, what's the first line of the Lord's Prayer? our Father, Hallowed be your name. Right at the front of Jesus' prayer is this sense of may they keep your name special. I can't say that I've ever majorly thought on that when I've said the Lord's Prayer particularly. I would have been like, we want you to be holy, but you know, want people to respect you, but it's his name specifically that Jesus is asking us to pray that it's kept special. So what does this mean? How can we treat God with reverence? Um, and uh, the, the first thing that J. John does is he gives us three reasons why we should uh, keep his name reverent. Um, and he says you should respect God's name because of his actions. And then he gives you a list of the wonderful things that he's done. And, and in particular, he takes us to that piece in the book of Job, that you know, we studied a few years ago together. And he, uh, this is God speaking to Job after all of Job's trials. And he says, "Brace yourself like a man I will question you and you will must answer. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? And who laid out its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together? And all the angels shouted for joy. Were you there when I gave orders to the morning? You know, all, all these things. God is incredible. So we should respect who he is and the name that he has because of his actions. We should also respect him because of his power. Um, in our house, uh, there are names which have significant power. Um, so if uh, a child is uh, you know heaven forbid, hurting another child and one of the childs calls on the name of Mum, the expectation is that that name that is being called out to is going to make a difference in this conflict situation that's going on yeah Mum he's hurting me mum he's taken my clothes mum and calling the name of mum even if mum isn't in the earshot of the calling has an effect on the situation because the other one immediately goes into defense mode and goes no it was him who did it no it was her who did it no mum changes things it changes the situation the name is powerful and there is power in God's name in the Bible, not uh, in magical sense, but because the name stands for one who is all-powerful, all-seeing, and all-knowing. God is the one who started the entire creation, who holds it together, and will one day reshape it. He's got power over all things, over the law of nature, life, and of death. So his name has power and should be revered. And Acts 2, verse 21 says, everyone who calls on the... Name of the Lord will be saved. The name of the Lord has power to bring us to salvation. And you call out, Jesus, save me. Or as the the man said, Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Do you remember? Jesus, have mercy on me. If you call on the name of the Lord, the revealed name of the Lord, it has power to save you. And one day in Philippians two ten to 11, it says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that name is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ, you are Lord. His name will be attributed uh, with respect because of the power he has. See, so he's got, his actions deserve uh, reverence, his power deserves reverence, and his character is the third thing, deserves reverence in J. John's uh, summary here. It's not just because he's powerful, because a dictator could be powerful. Um, It's also because he's perfect and holy. When we find something admirable in other people, like their love, their wisdom and thoughtfulness, we're finding something that is true of God in an unlimited way. You may look at Emma and see her glorious creativity and skills and ability. You may look at Dave and see his kindness And you think, wow, my goodness me, that's just a taste of a God who is incredibly creative and is writing symphonies in the stars or someone who can get alongside you and listen to you and care for you. And what we see in each other in the people in the room and those around us, those we care for, are just a taste of what is infinitely true about God in a totally perfected way. So his character should cause us to revere him. And to be careful to praise his name. And so there's reasons that we should revere God's name. And he gives four ways that you could honor his name in practice. And the first one is don't swear. Second one is don't name drop. The third one is don't cheat God of his honor. And the last one is don't live an inconsistent life. And I'll just give you a quick summary of uh, those in the concise oxford dictionary 1995 version the entry for the word jesus is as follows jesus colon colloquial interjection an exclamation of surprise dismay etc open brackets name of the founder of the christian religion died around ad 30 close brackets jesus is a colloquial interjection i you're walking along you hurt your thumb and you go jesus isn't that utterly devastating when you begin to realize that one of the Ten Commandments is we shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain, and yet we've written it into one of the most important books in our culture as a mere colloquial interjection. It's an expletive, and we've become numb to this, haven't we? As a church, we hear it on people's lips, and sometimes we possibly even say stuff we didn't mean to ourselves as well. So we can watch our own language and make sure we don't use God's name in a way that's dishonoring. Um, we can be prepared in a nice way, in a sensible way, to take people to task for it. And Jay John says this, for instance, if I hear someone reply to a question with God knows, I often respond with something like, yeah, he, he does actually. Uh, if people say Jesus as a swear word, I'll say, oh, who? Or You realize that's my best friend you're talking about, don't you? It may even be, he says, that their realization that you take God and Jesus seriously may open the door to a very interesting conversation. And third, he says, we can always be heard about the misuse of God's name in the media, radio and TV. You can write a letter um, to points of view on the BBC, for example, and just say, actually, you shouldn't use this name in this way. And the reality is, Many scriptwriters would be far more careful about using names of other religious figures from other religions than they are about ours because as a church, we haven't cared that the name of the Lord has been misused in horrific ways. We let it go. And it might be there's a right and wrong way of doing this. But if we care about our friend Jesus, then we should care about how people talk about them. If I walked in on someone talking ill about uh, the name of one of my family members or saying, you're such a, you know, if someone walked in and they're saying, you're such a Richard doing that, it would, it would upset me and I should complain. And in the same way we should be upset that our God who is the one who 's powerful, mighty, creative, and holds it all together is just maligned frivolously and disrespectfully because so that 's the first thing don 't swear the second one don 't name drop with god <laughs> and he 's saying that this commandment is more than just open blasphemy there 's ways that we could uh, never dream of swearing, but we can break the commandments and name dropping with god we um, let people know either openly and understated way that we know X as a friend and implies we've got friendship. So, you know, when I was on holiday with Justin Welby last year, <laughs> it's name dropping, isn't it? Like, actually, I did go on a trip with Justin Welby, but I can't imagine he even knows who I was, even when I was there with him. Um, I don't have a close relationship to him, so I, I shouldn't drop a name in there. But in, in, we do drop God's name in, uh, in all sorts of ways. Holy Crusade, a sacred struggle, wars in defense of Christian values, back to Christian basics, <laughs> becoming a Christian country again. God has been used, as you know, to justify apartheid in South Africa, death camps in Nazi Germany, a mission to bring civilization in colonialism. God's name's been invoked on both sides in uh, Northern Ireland and uh, in all sorts of other things as well. Shortly after the fall of Atlanta during the American Civil War, a woman exclaimed to President Lincoln at a White House function, Oh, Mr. President, I feel sure that God is on our side, don't you? Mom, replied Lincoln solemnly, I'm more concerned that we should be on God's side. And the way that we can make God part of our agenda, should give us check are we on his side or the other. We can name drop God to make our projects look good, to make our churches look good. We can use charismatic experiences manipulatively. The Lord showed me this. I think God is saying this. Because God can and does speak today in all sorts of ways. But if we manipulate him, then we're Breaking the third commandment. We're taking his name in vain. That's why we have to test prophecies carefully. We don't treat them with contempt, but we don't we wanna revere God's name, so we don't let people say God's saying something if they're if they're getting it wrong consistently. We encourage them to grow in it, but we don't let them get that wrong again and again or use him as a manipulation device. And uh, there's further teaching in there about how Paul sometimes doesn't uh, say something is of God. Sometimes he says, this is a commandment that I'm giving, not the Lord. He's clearly choosing to honor the third command by not putting two feet in and going, this is what God's saying, if he knows it's just him saying it. So thirdly, don't cheat God of his honor. Um, We can misuse God's name by not mentioning him at all. Oh, Richard, your church is wonderful. Isn't it exciting? The shelter project that's going on there. What a wonderful achievement that is. Yes, it is. We've got such a great group of people in our church. Isn't it amazing? Clearly, there's a great vision or whatever. Blasphemy. Because who should be getting the praise? God. You see, so easy, isn't it? You have a conversation with someone and if you don't attribute to God the praise and the honor and the glory you're actually robbing God's name of praise that he deserves yeah I just love the way you spoke today well actually I couldn't speak in public before God got into my life praise God or you wrap it up or you're so kind well actually it was God who gave me we blaspheme if we don't give him the credit that he deserves. And there's much more you could say on that. And finally, though, don't live an inconsistent life. When I became a Christian, there was a, um, a group called DC Talk, who were a sort of Christian, a rap and rock group. And they had this staggering quote on one of their CDs. And it was, it was a voice of, uh, at the end of a, a talk. And it, it says this. The greatest single cause of atheism today is Christians who acknowledge God with their lips but let him down with their lifestyles. So we've got to live a consistent life. We've got to give God the glory deliberately. We've got to not take his name in vain. We've got to keep giving him the praise he deserves. We mustn't swear. We mustn't name drop. And this is important because he is a God who's powerful, mighty, creative, wonderful. He's a perfect character and deserves all praise. And it says the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. So somewhere we need to think about the, the gap between how the Jewish sages didn't even want to use his name. Think about the privilege we have now because Jesus has given us the name of Father and his own name of Jesus. And we're family, we're in relationship. And remember that it's a privilege to be this side of that chasm. Uh, Not an assumption that we can just treat him as we feel like. May God grow us in our understanding of this and teach us to follow him reverently and in awe. In Jesus' name, amen.